Thanks for joining us for another episode of Voices of Grace. I'm Ryan Peterson. I'm the Strategic Communications Manager at Grace Community Church. Today, I have the privilege of spending some time with Dr. Jay Ferguson. Jay is the head of school at Grace Community Schools, which is the school ministry of Grace Community in Tyler. And he's also the board chair for the Association of Christian Schools International, and he may be the smartest man I've talked with. (laughs) He laughs, but he's a smart guy. Jay, thanks so much for taking the time. I know you're busy to sit down and talk with me today. Ryan, it's a privilege to be here with you today. Thanks for inviting me to come on your show. Yeah, absolutely. Can you kind of go into your story a little bit um, before we get into the school, your background, where you're from, and your family? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I grew up in Dallas. My mother and her family are actually Tylerites. They actually, my great-great-grandfather actually moved to Tyler from Clark County, Alabama before the Civil War. Wow. So we've actually been in Tyler, my family has, for generations and generations. That's crazy. And so... um, so Tyler really is our home. My mom actually just went to SMU and married my father. And so we, we spent a brief time in Dallas before coming back to Tyler. But I went to high school in Dallas, and then I went to Baylor uh, undergrad and Texas Tech Law School. And I practiced law in Dallas for a couple of years and then met Ashley, my wife. And we decided that we didn't really want to raise kids in Dallas, and so we I had clerked for a law firm here in Tyler, and so we decided to move back here, and I ended up working for that law firm. I did it for eight years until God called me to grace, and that was an interesting story in and of itself. Yes, and I want to get to that story because I'm fascinated how you made that decision then to transition. Um, First, when did you accept Jesus as your Savior? Was this something you did as a child? It it was. It was. I kind of had one of those testimonies where, you know, we were. I was out at um, Sky Ranch um, when I was uh, eight years old, and you know, I I still remember being on the bunk, and my counselor was describing kind of the walk, what walking with Christ was, and I said, "Well, that sounds good to me," and I prayed the prayer to receive Christ as my Savior, but, you know, and and really, that was a genuine conversion, but uh, I think the, ta- the a really catalytic moment for me was really after law school, which was a dry spiritual season for me, um, and I got out of law school and really had a friend kind of confront me on a variety of things in my life that he had seen, really, that I think it was a Holy Spirit moment. And he really convicted me, so much so that I tried to get him out of my house. And after I got him out of my house, literally fell flat on the ground and just repented before the Lord. And from that moment on, just kind of re-surrendered my life to him. And that was, that was a, a moment of change and transformation for me. And, uh, and God has just continued to take me on a road and journey with him ever since. So that kind of answers my next question. I mean, because you're so well-rounded, you have a doctorate of philosophy and leadership studies. As you said, you were a practicing lawyer. Um, What was the exact point that you were like, you know what, I'm leaving this behind, and I'm going to teach Jesus. Like, I'm going to make that my life's purpose. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting, because I hadn't really planned on it. You know, when 9-11 happened, um, Emma, my oldest, had just started at the school, so we just started school we we made the decision to put our children in grace just like every other parent makes the decision we looked at all the schools prayed through it um 
really believe that the Lord was calling us to provide a Christian education for our kids. And I was a, we were church members, so we put our kid, we put our oldest in grace. She was in K-4. 9-11 happened, and, you know, I was having a little bit of kind of an existential moment of, you know, am I really doing something? How much is what I'm doing at that point contributing to the kingdom? And what's the eternal value of what I'm doing? And, uh, and I got a call out of the blue from Chuck Jamison, who's recently passed away, but was our executive pastor at the time. And he said, we've got an opening for the director of development job and started reading through, talking through the ministry profile of that job. And I remember thinking, wow, that sounds like something that would be a good match for my skill set. But I thought at the end, I thought, well, you know, of course, he's going to ask me who I know who would be good for this job. And he asked if I was interested in it. And I thought, whoa, I mean, that shaked, shook me, rocked my world. And I said, well, whoa, let me pray about it. And so I prayed about it for a while, but then, and then I talked to Ashley about it because she was nine months pregnant with our youngest at the time, and I was kind of scared to do that. But she, but I took it to her the same way that she took it, that Chuck had taken it to me, and she said, you know, the whole time you were describing it, I thought this would be a great thing for you. And so we prayed about it, kept praying. It was going to be a 60% pay cut, so we really were struggling with that piece of it. How are we going to do this? We got a new baby on the way. This is a big thing for us. And so I remember one night we were backing out of our driveway, going to dinner, and um, getting ready to leave. And I was talking to Ashley and saying, I really feel like God's calling us to do this if we can just make this financial jump we're, we're struggling with. But, and, uh, and Emma, who was in Donna Youngblood, who passed away last week, her class, and um, she was, uh, said, um, popped her, her little, what she called her passy or pacifier. She was four, don't judge me, <laughs> but popped it out of her mouth and said uh, to us, hey, Dad, you want to hear the Bible verse that we'd memor- memorized in class this week? And I said, sure, honey. And she said, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. Popped that sucker back in her mouth and just got quiet. She didn't know. She's four. She has no clue what we're talking about. It might as well be Chinese. I looked over Ashley. We just started laughing and said, you know, if the Lord can speak through Balaam's donkey, he can speak through a four-year-old. We made that decision, and God has richly provided for us in so many ways ever since. It's so amazing how God how God can speak to us. Um, I actually can relate to what you're talking about. Um, I remember leaving my broadcasting career, and even before coming on staff here, uh, the pay cut thing. Yeah. And having to, I, I felt like, when am I going to start walking the walk right. and not just talking the talk that I am going to trust, like you just said, that God's going to provide? Totally. Um, but from my point of view, I've never felt more fulfilled. Totally. Um, and, I, and I look back, I'm like, man, I wish I would have done this sooner. Um, I would assume you you don't have any regrets on well, that You know, decision. it's funny, Ryan, because 
I think, and that's so God, it's the way he works. You know, God's going to richly provide for you when you take a step out in faith. But it's kind of like, you know, the old metaphor of stepping out on the boat, right? You're not going to know that you can walk on water until you actually get out of the boat and walk. He's not going to show you the roadmap. You know, I'm going to provide for you this way, this way, this way, this way, and this way. So, Ryan, why don't you just go ahead and trust me? He's going to make you actually start trusting him before he shows you how much he's going to provide for you. So we always see in retrospect and go, that was the biggest no-brainer in the history of the earth. But it never, ever, ever feels like that when we're taking that step. And, you know, that's what faith is all about and trusting in God's provision. Yeah, and you're so right, because I remember thinking back, I feel stupid that I even doubted. Right, right. But But at the time, it was a big decision. And for anybody making a big decision like that, it's very real. And you have to trust in the Lord, but he always, always provides. So you, when did you become head of school? Oh, so I started um, as the development director in January of 2002, and so I did that job for about a year and a half. Okay. And in June of 2003, I was in a at a conference in Boston, Massachusetts, and Jerry Burgess called me and he said, uh, "I've decided that I'm going to retire, and I've." Uh, suggested to the board that you be the interim head of school, which terrified me because I was 36 years old at the time, and I had no inkling of how to run a school. It scared me, and I got down on my knees and just prayed and asked the Lord for wisdom. And, uh, And again, that's another one of those moments when God provided. So, I mean, thinking about how, how it terrified you, you're, you're still... You're still the guy after about 20 years almost. What is it about it that you have decided, you know, that this is your calling and, and you've stayed with it? Because you see so much change within school administration and faculty, and, and you've been kind of a rock for the school. Yeah. Um, why have you decided to stay all that time? I think it's just um, the opportunity. You know, the average tenure of it, it's kind of like in public school too, the average tenure of a head of school is about four to five years. I didn't realize it was that yeah, short. Yeah, it's short. And and I, it, I always am amazed by that because it doesn't seem like in that length of time you have time to really build out a culture or build out a vision. And um, I'm just so grateful that God has allowed me to stay here. The thing I love about it is just investing in families and investing in long-term relationships with people. Um, it's so much fun, you know, at this stage in my career, I get to have kids of kids, kids that graduated from Grace, and now their kids are in our school. And I just love that. I love the richness of relationships. I love getting to go to dinner with people whose kids have long since graduated and getting to catch up with them and see what their kids are doing. Because really, you get to see the mission played out. You know, you know this. We always say that Grace exists to teach. Grace School exists to teach Jesus, and to equip kids to influence the world for Christ. And you get to see that mission played out as parents talk about how their kids are actually doing that, where they work, live, and play right now, and making disciples. And it's really, really a huge blessing. I don't know how people who just go do their four-year stint and then go do it someplace else 
ever get to receive the blessing of hearing those stories from long-term friends, um, to me, that's a tragedy. I can't imagine being in that position. I've just been, I'm so grateful that I've been blessed in that way by the Lord. I would assume over, you know, two decades, you've learned a lot on the fly. Um, one of the, I think, the toughest things, especially with your job and you're dealing with kids and maybe even um, the staff is uh, showing grace and, and making them feel loved, but also being the discipline and being the leader. Um, how, how difficult ha- is that, I guess, from a leadership perspective? I mean, have you learned a lot from when you first started? Because I think even now as a parent, I feel like so many people, and I, I see teachers, they're so worried about being cool or their friend, yeah. but I think they, they forget about, you know, we need to be their friend second because totally. they, they need that authority and discipline. They do. And, you know, one of the things that I think is really unique about our school that a lot of people don't really realize, because you just know what you know. If you know grace, you don't know anything else. But being able to go see schools around the country and around the world, I've learned one of the things that's unique about grace is we were really one of the first to have the approach to discipline that we actually have. And and it's really just been a revelation from the Lord. You know, we, we realized pretty early on that, um, that discipline, disciplining a child's heart can't be establishing a set of rules and a bright line standard. And if you cross the line, then, then step one, or infringement number one, we're going to do this. Infringement number two, we're going to do this. And infringement number three, we're going to do this. Um, You know, kind of a three strikes you're out kind of method to discipline. Um, It's that's really easy to administer. And it's really simple to explain. And it's really not redemptive. It's not the way a parent deals with the heart of a child, a good parent anyway. And, um, and it's not the way that God deals with us. And so when we, we kind of redesigned the philosophy of the discipline process at Grace, and we said, we're going to deal with it the way a good parent deals with their child and the way that, um, that God deals with us. God seeks to know our heart. He focuses on our heart. He seeks to restore. He seeks to uh, reconcile. And that's going to be our approach. That's going to be what we do. And our kids responded to it. You know, um, if you do kind of the three strikes, you're out method, kids will, that's behavior modification. They'll, they'll do what you want them to do as long as you're standing there and watching. And the minute you turn your back on them, they'll do something different because that's just manipulation. Kids whose hearts are changed um, do things because... God is moving within them. God's moving inside of them. And that's what you want. You want them to be governed by the inside of their heart. And that's true in their home. And that's true in school as well. You want them to be governed by the Holy Spirit. You want them to be governed by their conscience. You don't want them to be governed from the outside or by external stimuli. So that's that's the difference. And that's what's important about about uh, disciplining the heart of a child, whether you're in a school or whether you're at home. That's great. Um, I want to talk more um, about that, but I did, um, because I have you on and because 
uh, you've been there so long. I talked to Kevin East about leadership, and I briefly wanted to ask you because you have been a leader of the school for so many years, and you said, like you said, there's usually so much turnover more frequently. Being the leader at Grace for so long, I would have to imagine there are days that it has to feel pretty lonely. Um, h- how do you deal with that? And um, obviously, you've decided to stay with it. But I mean, are there times because sometimes you have to make unpopular decisions, um, whether that be with faculty or a family or a child. Can it be a lonely place to be at times? Sure, it absolutely is lonely. And you know, sometimes you, because you're the uh, ultimately you're the one who has to make the decision on a lot of things, it can be a lonely thing. And that's why it's so important. Um, to press deeply into the Lord. It's so important to have those spiritual disciplines that require you to draw from the Holy Spirit. You know, the spiritual disciplines are also called means of grace, and I like to think of them as, whether it's Bible study, whether it's prayer, whether it's silence or solitude, um, it, those are all ways, uh, I think, of of stand of pulling ourselves under the shower of the Holy Spirit and letting the Lord transform us and letting Him minister to us so that we realize that we're not alone, that He's our sufficiency and that He's all we, we need. Leaders, in a lot of senses, Ryan, are people pleasers. And so they want people to love them. Right. And we the, all do. We all do. We all want it. Yeah. Um, and people, and I think leaders, at least good leaders, in one sense, want people to love them. And so you've really got to press into the Lord deeply so that you can realize that He is your sufficiency, He is your strength, He is your hope, and that everything you need, you can receive from Him. And then you can minister to and love the people that you serve and you don't need those things from them. You don't need your security from them. You don't need your self-worth from them, but you can love them and serve them. And actually, that we all know that works well in a marriage too, right? Yeah. Because if you're not looking to your wife or your husband to be those things for you, but you're looking to the Lord Jesus to be those things, um, then it frees you up to serve your wife, to serve your husband, and not and and not and to love them well and not to need things from them not to make them your idol. Yeah, absolutely. Well, your leadership is not limited to grace. I had mentioned earlier you are the board chair currently for the Association of Christian Schools International. Um, can you explain the role that uh, ACSI plays? I guess nationally. Sure. ACSI is a um, it's an international. Uh, organization that accredits and supports Christian schools worldwide. Um, We say that uh, just using round numbers that ACSI serves 25,000 schools in 100 countries. And so uh, it provides accreditation services, which are services that put a stamp of approval or a seal on Christian schools that gives them the affirmation that they're doing, uh, that they're certified. Um, but it also creates a path for school improvements, for schools to continue to grow and become better. And then it provides a variety of different support services for them as well. A lot of professional development, um, a lot of growth opportunities for uh, teachers and for principals and for heads of school and various school administrators within the school. 
Um, so it's just a it's a it's it's really the largest Christian school support organization in the world. So was that something that was on your radar to be uh, to be on the board? Did they come to you? I mean, how did that happen? Where you took on such a big spot there? About seven or eight years ago, I just got again. It was a call out of the blue from a guy who. Um, I was friends with who was a head of school in Orlando who was also on the board and he just asked he asked me if I wanted to serve and and I said yes and um, and got on the board and um, there was a lot of work to do on that board um, at that time they there was a lot of um, organizational change that needed to happen at that time. There, it, that's no secret. Anybody who knows ACSI knows that there was quite a bit of organizational change that had to happen. There was a lot of board change, new strategic plan, new he, new president of the organization. So uh, during the time I've served on the board, we've kind of walked through all of that and uh, and made some changes that, frankly, ACSI really needed to make in order to position itself to serve Christian schools in the next decade. So you're the board chair at a time that really, I, I think, and look, I, I think we can go back through the history of our nation and say, well, this was a, a time of uncharted waters, but I really feel like we're, we're at a really different time um, just in terms of religious freedoms that could be threatened. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts right now on the state of education in America and even the rights and liberties that we have as private schools uh, mm-hmm. right now? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I serve on the Texas Private School Association, and one of the things we do is advocate with the legislature in Austin for our religious rights and religious liberties. I think it's as long as we have those and um, we need to uh, you know, I tell all school leaders, you know, there was a time when you could just kind of assume that that was going to happen and it was okay to kind of sit on the sidelines and not really be involved in advocating for those kinds of things. But now you really have to. Now you have to um, be engaged and be involved in organizations like the one I just described to be um, really advocating for um, the preservation of those rights, those liberties, and at the same time to also realize that really our role as Christian schools um, is to raise up Daniels and Esthers to be different people in a very in a culture that has changed dramatically. You know, Daniel and Esther, if you looked at them, just eyeballed them, they looked like the people in the culture around them, and yet they were distinctively different. They were excellent in a lot of ways, uh, very intelligent, very well-schooled, and yet they were pure and undefiled. They loved the Lord. They served Him. They weren't going to be changed by the culture around them. And yet at the same time, they were going to change the culture around them. They were going to influence and make a transformative change. And I think it's up to us as parents and up to us as Christian schools to raise up those kind of kids. Is there, I mean, are you seeing, I mean, I'm going through it now. I have two young daughters, things that parents, especially Christian parents, we need to be more vigilant or worried about than maybe even five, 10 years ago. Yeah, I think for sure we need to be really a lot more careful and vigilant. And everybody knows this about the uh, influence of digital 
devices and social media. Yeah. And, and the, really the way I like to think about it, and I've described it to other people, is, um, you know, liturgies are really important in the formation of how we live our lives. You know, we, we engage in practices. That's what Bible study, that's what um, worship is all about. It's about forming and shaping our hearts to think a certain way. And if I have a device open every single day and I'm looking at content that's designed to feed me exactly what I want to hear every single day, minute after minute, hour after hour, it's going to mold and shape and form my heart. It's, it, it's a liturgy, and it's going to form me in a certain way. It's going to form me. I'm going to be formed towards the Lord or I'm going to be formed away from the Lord. And so as parents, we have to be really, really careful of the liturgies that we expose our kids to and that we encourage them to be a part of. And so um, so that, uh, if you think of it that way, it really makes it, um, I think it really brings it home of how important it is to to really keep a strong eye on those things as parents. Yeah, and it's, it's a fight. I mean, my girls are in elementary, and, you know, I will not let them have their own phone. Yeah. And then they come home, and they have classmates in elementary school. I mean, we're talking seven, eight, nine-year-old kids with phones. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I, I shake my head. Absolutely. And I can... I have copies of text streams from fourth and fifth graders that will convince anyone that fourth and fifth graders don't need their own cell phones. The best advice I can give parents is when you need them to have a phone, then they can have a phone. Yeah. Until that day, then there's no need for it. <laughs> That's great advice. Um, well, before we wrap up, I did want to ask you, um, because you are, like myself, a proud girl dad. Sure. Um, you and Ashley have three beautiful daughters, Emma, Annie, and Ellen. My girls are, are still mm-hmm. in the elementary stage of seven and 11. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges I have, because, I mean, look, I love them. <laughs> uh, they, they changed my life, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want them to become idols. Right. You know, I, God needs to be number one. What advice would you give, and maybe not even just dads, but but parents in general, to love their children well, yeah. but not to make them an idol over God? What a great, what a great admonition! And you just you just said it. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing, and the best thing that I think any of us can do is kind of what I said earlier of continuing to make sure that we're pressing into the Lord every single day, because really the best thing that we can do for our children, if we really do love them, is have what you know Augustine and others called rightly ordered loves, right? Um, God has to be first and foremost in our life. He has to be our first love. He designed it that way. And all of our love for our wife or our husband and our children are supposed to come proceed from that. And the way we love them best is if we model and show them our love for our Father. What I love, I'll tell you, the thing that brings me the most joy, and, and, and I can't even say it right now without breaking up, but the thing that brings me the most joy right now as I look at my 25 and t- soon to be 25, soon to be 23, and soon to be 20 or now 20-year-old daughters is to watch them Um, come downstairs in the morning or at night and open up God's word, study it. They're not, they're not like, oh, dad's downstairs. I got to go show off for him. 
they're doing it their own uh, and they're talking about it. And it's not because we held them to the ground and said, by golly, you're going to have a quiet time every single... You know why? It's because they watched us do it. They watched us do it every single morning the whole time that they were in our homes. And, and, and we didn't tell them. We just showed them. They watched us live it out. You know, Christian Smith, who uh, is, a, is a researcher on youth, basically did, has done tons of research, and his conclusion in a sentence or a phrase is, you get what you are. And at the end of the day, if you want your child to be something, be that person. That's the best um, advice I could possibly give a parent. Man, that is so convicting. And, and thank you. Uh, thank you for your leadership the past 20 years at Grace, and thanks for coming on today. And you also, I do want to tell people, you have a great blog that you post weekly, um, and it's really what a collection of just kind of reflections that you've had from teaching, um, and that's jaysblog.org. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Well, Jay, again, thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed the conversation. I got a lot of it myself. Um, I hope everyone listening did too. Thank you for listening so much. This has been Voices of Grace. Voices of Grace.